With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 22nd of December. Liverpool are back in action tonight, so I am in pretty poor form. Uh, We had EFL Cup games last night, though, and they went as follows. Charlton nil, 
Brighton nil. Charlton win 4-3 on penalties. Charlton missed three penalties and still win a shootout, which will tell you how bad Brighton's penalties were. Uh, Gross missed, Stockley missed, Trossard missed. You would have backed him. You would have backed Gross as well. Uh, Forster Caskey missed. Uh, sorry, Forster Caskey scored. Evan Ferguson scored because Irish people don't miss in shootouts. George Dobson missed. Lewis Dunk scored. Jesserin Raksaki in on loan from Crystal Palace missed. Solly March missed. Solly March missed. Uh, Corey Blackett-Taylor scored. Tariq Lamptey scored. Stephen, Stephen Sessignon in on loan from Fulham. He scored. Moises Caicedo missed. And Samuel Lavelle scored to give Charlton the victory. That is a big, big win for Charlton. And they move on to the quarterfinals. Nottingham Forest beat Blackburn by four goals to one. Brennan Johnson put them ahead on 13 from the penalty spot. Scott Wharton equalised on 44. But Jesse Lingard, Teo Awani and a late Brennan Johnson second gave Forrest a deserved win. Forrest absolutely battered them. 27 shots to four, 15 on target to two. They just completely and utterly dominated the game. I was quite disappointed with, with Blackburn, I have to say. Uh, not as disappointed as I was with Fulham's defenders. Manchester United 2, Fulham nil. Christian Eriksen scored the first and Marcus Rashford scored the second. Rashford picked the ball up about 15 yards inside his own half and proceeded to run all the way into the the Burnley penalty area. Not one Burnley player attempted to make a tackle until he reached the edge of their penalty box. And when the defender did make a tackle, he did a better job of tackling himself and getting himself out of Rashford's way, allowing Rashford to continue on in a straight path. And then it's just, it's poor goalkeeping. I mean, you shouldn't be getting beaten from that that angle. Bailey Peacock-Farrell is an international goalkeeper, and that's really poor. But it the defending was just mind-blowingly poor. Like, genuinely as bad as you'll ever see. Now, to their credit, Burnley had a goal. They had 11 shots to United's 10, but only one on target to United's 6. Um, all in all, United true pretty comfortably. So... Wolves, Southampton, Newcastle, Leicester, Charlton, Forest, and Manchester United through. Tonight, we have Liverpool and Man City. Liverpool knocked out Derby after a penalty shootout. City knocked out Chelsea 2-0. The two best teams in the country, I know the league table doesn't state that, but everything else does. You look at the last four or five years, these are the two best teams in the country. Liverpool need to get their act together, though, and they need to do it soon, or their season will slip away and they will miss top four. City, I believe, will win the league quite comfortably. But it's likely that tonight Liverpool have a stronger eleven available to them than Manchester City. I still think Jurgen Klopp is going to do something silly, like play James Milner at right back, but he should be playing Trent at right back with Matip Gomez and Robertson forming a solid back four in front of Cueving Kelleher with Keita, Fabinho and Thiago as his midfield, but instead he'll likely go Elliot, Basetich maybe, and Thiago and then up front it should be Salah, Firmino Nunes, I'm expecting Salah, Firmino and Carvalho um, 
but City will be playing a number of young players and a number of reserves. Wouldn't be surprised to see Calvin Phillips start for them. I think De Bruyne will start. I think Gundogan will start. They both went out in the group stage in the World Cups. So they should be okay. I think Akanji will start. He went out in the group stage as well. Or did he? No, he didn't. They they got through. So no, maybe he won't. Maybe he won't start tonight. If he doesn't, I don't know what City will do at centre-back. They'll probably have to play some young players. They'll probably have to play some young players at centre-back. Or at least one. So I don't think Nathan Aki will start. They got to the quarter-finals. I assume Gomez starts left-back and Lewis right-back and Ortega in goal. Centre-back is a question. I think the midfield will be strong. Haaland and Maris will be two of the front three and probably probably Palmer as the third, uh, which is, is a strong front three. Uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of uh, dynamic pace out wide, but Haaland makes up for that by just being an absolute monster. Um yeah, as Guy points out, Akanji and Laporte went out before Aki. So if City are going to start centre-backs that went to the World Cup and risk them on a short return, it's probably those two. The reason Liverpool could do with playing Trent and Fabinho and the reason uh, City could play Phillips is because they barely played at the World Cup. But Akanji played pretty much every minute for Switzerland. Laporte played every minute for Spain. Uh, Aki played basically every minute for the Dutch. I'd be surprised to see any of them. Uh, I'd be surprised to see Ruben Diaz as well. But we'll wait and see. It should be a decent game. Uh, Kickoff is 8pm. There will be no extra time. It will go directly to penalties if there is a draw. And uh, at that point, it could be a lot of fun. Today is Thursday, which means today is questions day. So we're going to go through the few questions that we've got here. Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. We've got six. And then we've got a bit of news and we've got the gossip. So that'll keep us going for the day. Let's start with this. Fact 1977, World Cup team of the tournament. Messi, Mbappe, Griezmann, Maguire. This is the Sky Sports Team of the tournament. Do you know if Sky Sports watched any of the group stage? How on earth did they select Maguire as one of the two best centre backs in the tournament? It's an absolute nonsense from Sky, which is the usual that we expect from Sky. Maguire was not good in the World Cup. What have they written about him? After his troubles at Manchester United at the start of the season, arguably no player arrived at the World Cup with more pressure on their shoulders than Harry Maguire. To perform as he did under such scrutiny, keeping three clean sheets in five matches, the centre-back deserves huge credit. What a load of unadulterated crap. Messi arrived with more pressure. Kane arrived with more pressure. Cristiano, Mbappe, Neymar. Dozens of players uh, arrived with more pressure. Maguire didn't arrive with any pressure because he's awful. And nobody expects anything of him. At this point, Harry Maguire has been given participation medals for tying his shoes but not going in the race. Crap. What was this team of the tournament? Uh, Livakovic, absolutely. He should have won the Golden Gloves. Martinez getting it. It's a bit of a nonsense, but I understand why he did. Hakimi, yeah, no problem there. 
Gvardiol didn't quite make mine, but I can definitely see a strong argument. Maguire, there's no argument for. Acuna, there's no argument for either. I mean, he didn't play in the semi-final of the final. He didn't start the semi-final of the final. How would he be the one? Uh, Griezmann, yes. Amrabat, yes. Onahi, I can I can definitely get on board. Messi, Giroud, and Mbappe. Uh, Enzo Fernandez has to be in your team of the tournament, or you've done it wrong. S- simple as that. Uh, you can leave out Olivier Giroud. He did score four goals, but he also turned in an all-time disaster class in the final. Uh, drop him, put Enzo into midfield. And I'm fine with that. Um, Onahi, I, I thought, was one of the, the big breakthrough stars of the World Cup. So no problem with him, no problem with Amrabat. Um, I would have said Kovacic in midfield. Personally, I would have gone Kovacic, Amrabat and Enzo with Griezmann just ahead of them behind Messi and Mbappe. Uh, but Acuna, absolutely not. Maguire, absolutely not. Those are shocking picks. Flatsy, is it just me or are trophy ceremonies better in the stands? They are. Trophy ceremonies are much better in the stands. Much, much better in the stands. Like, the whole thing is they're done on the pitch so that all the sponsors can get their logos in and their whatever else so that Infantino and all the rest of the cronies from FIFA can be on the pitch parading themselves around and make it about themselves. And then so little dickheads like Salt Bay, who just appears to be an absolutely dreadful human being, so he can go on the pitch and harass the players because Qatar own part of his restaurant chain or some such nonsense. I'm sorry, but it's it's nonsense. Put the put the trophy presentations back in the stand. It's much better when they're in the stand. For league titles, I get having them on the pitch because most stadiums aren't built with an area to hand out trophies. But for any kind of cup final, the stadiums they're played in always have an area for trophy presentation in the stands. And it's just so much better. You think back at the iconic World Cups being lifted. They're lifted in the stand. Same with European Championships, FA Cups down the years, European Cups down the years. This on-pitch stuff is just a commercial thing. The Champions League, I think, were the first to introduce it, which is no surprise, and FIFA have adopted it. But yeah, for me, it takes away, and it also takes too long. Takes far too long. Sitting there for 25, 30 minutes waiting for them to erect some stage and get all these crusty old white men down out of the stands and have them walk across to hand out medals. Just leave them in their seats. Get the players up to them. It'll be much quicker, much more efficient. And it just visually is a better thing. AMK2889, you voiced in the past. It's been a while since we had a great World Cup for various reasons. In your opinion, what was the last great World Cup? And why France 98 was the last great World Cup? Because the World Cup was the pinnacle of football back then like this was the grandest biggest stage and this was where players really shone 
Whereas since then, I would say only 06 was a flat out good World Cup. I think the rest have all been largely poor to average. 02, a poor World Cup, had good drama. 10 was okay. 14 was okay. 18 was poor. 22 overall average. Had excitement, had drama. The final was great after the 80th minute. But overall, I mean, the standard of football just isn't there. Back, you know, in the 70s, 80s and 90s, this was where the best players played their best football. It was The games were great. And there was a high level of tactical thinking from managers, whereas I feel like that was lost for a number of years. Now, I will say Scaloni put on a tactical masterclass to this World Cup. And I've been thinking more and more about his performance and not just at the World Cup, but the last 18 months from the Copa America to winning the Cup of Champions to this, that might be an all-time great 18 months for any manager. Like, I know you can look at uh, Vincente Del Bosque, who won the the World Cup and then the Euros with Spain after Aragonas had won the, the Euros with them before. But... He had far more talent at his disposal than what uh, Scaloni has. He he also, remember, at that point, Barcelona were the best club team in the world. And the squad was largely made up of Barcelona players with a handful from Real Madrid and one from Villarreal. Um, you could definitely look back at the 2002 outside 2000 euros and say that it was, uh, you know, with, with France because they'd obviously, they'd won the World Cup in 98 and then they go on and, and win this, but they had changed managers. So they don't get the same kind of praise as what I'm giving Scaloni. I think as an 18 months, it might be the best we've ever seen at international level. He could even it just expanded to two years. I think it's the best we've seen, and I think that World Cup stands right alongside any in terms of how a manager has worked his way through its squad management, tactical approach. I think it. I think it was incredible, and I wasn't a fan before the World Cup, but largely because I hadn't paid enough attention. But since the final, I've gone back and I've watched their games at the Copa America. And he, he was doing the same thing, changing things up, making the right decisions. He nailed every big decision at this World Cup. Um, So why why is it not as good? I, I just, I think the Champions League really exploded in the 2000s. And I think it's taken so much of the players' focus. I also think there's too many games for players. And by the time they hit World Cups, I think they're just knackered. Like you think of it, now they play, let's say, World Cup. Next year will be Nations League. Following year, Euros. Following year, Nations League. Following year, World Cup. There's no break. And the top players are all playing Champions League because as well as that, the Champions League has expanded. Back in the 90s, you didn't get four teams from each country getting into the European Cup. Now all the top players play in the Champions League. Back then, not all of them did. 
So the World Cup was their stage because they might not have played as regularly in the Champions League. They might not have been there every single season for the past four years. Like if you think of that 98 World Cup and Zidane as the, the star of the show who went on to win the final with his two goals, like he didn't play in the Champions League every season between 94 and 98 because he was at Bordeaux for the first couple of years and then when he joined Juventus he he got into the Champions League that way so for him to go to the World Cup he was still an emerging star he wasn't the player he would become after it is mad to think he was 26. He was 24 when he left Bordeaux. Like, that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, but yeah, so I think that is it. I think I think the Champions League has actually taken away from the World Cup because there's just so many games and players playing it all the time. And I think they're just more focused on it. I also think another big factor is the pay gap. Players earn obscene money now at club level versus, you know, Decent money, but not great money for their international teams. Back then, there was a lot more parity between what the clubs could pay and what the national teams could play. So for players that weren't just driven by national pride and the money was a factor, there was you know kind of equal compensation. Now it's, it's nothing like that. And I think we see more and more players put club before country these days. What is your opinion on the Copas and Euros? Um, let's have a look. The last Euros was pretty good. I will say that. It wasn't great, but it was pretty good. Um, France in 2016 was pretty poor. 2012 was poor. I would say... The last two have also had too many teams. 24 teams is too many for a European Championship. 16 is the perfect amount, though it worked, It was great with eight as well. I would say 2000 was good. 2004 was awfully dull. 2008 was okay. 12 was predictable. 16 was poor. 20 was, was decent. Decent to good, but it's too many teams. It was just interesting because it was around Europe. Um, but the last great Euros was 96. And before that, it, they were great each time. 92 was great. 88 was great. 84 was great. 80 was great. 76 was great. I haven't seen all the matches from 72, um, even though there were only four teams. In it. I, I, there's one game I haven't seen. Um I think I've only seen the finals of the ones before that, 68, 64, and 60. But I would say from 80 to 96, they're all great. Like, genuinely great. But 16 teams is the right number for uh, for European championships. In terms of the Copa, I mean, the one thing that gets me with the Copa is the, the structure of when it's on. Like, is it every two years, every three years? It's normal. Like, you look back in, in the 80s and 90s, it was 80, say, 
from 87. It used to be every four years, right? So it was every four years um, from 75 to 87. And then they went every two years, which was too often. And then they started going every three years. Then they went back to four years. Then they went one, one year, one the next. Then there was three years. Then there was two years. And now there's three years again. So the, the schedule thing annoys me. Um, but I do think those have been of a slightly higher quality. I thought 2021 was good. Uh, 2019. 2019 was good. Yeah, Brazil won 2019. They beat Peru in the final. It was good. Uh, 2016. I'm trying to think. Oh, that was the centenary one. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. 2015 wasn't great. Twenty eleven from memory twenty eleven was really good. Like really good. Uh I, I have a I have a tough time with O seven, O four, and O one off the top of my head. I can't remember much about them. I do remember ninety five. I remember that strongly because I love that Uruguay team with Daniel Fonseca and uh, Enzo Francescoli. And those games used to be on at like mad times in the morning. Gus Poyet was in that team. I do remember that that um, Copa because Brazil remember were the reigning World Cup champions, but it was the first time I ever saw Ricardo uh, Roberto Carlos play. It's the first time I think that I saw Janinho play. I think that was before he came to England. Um, Edmundo was in that team. So even though they just won the World Cup the year before, the team had changed quite drastically. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven new starters in the final from the World Cup final the year before. Um, I think they've done a better job at maintaining a higher level, but there's too many teams in the Euros. That's what I'll say. Far too many teams in the Euros. What needs to happen for World Cups and Copas to get back to where the ones were? I, the World Cup, I think, is... I don't think it can. And they're going to ruin it by putting 48 teams in the next, which is far too many teams. There aren't 48 teams worthy of playing at a World Cup. You're ruining the tournament. And the same thing goes for the Euros. 16 is the perfect number. The idea of 24 is... Was 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 nonsense to begin with, and there's been talk that it could go in twenty twenty eight to thirty two. Like there's just there's not enough good teams. There just isn't enough good teams. Sixteen was the perfect amount, and they've they've ruined the Euros by going to twenty four. They're going to ruin the World Cup by going to forty eight. But it's already damaged because the Champions League. Just draws too much focus. I don't think we can fix them. I think FIFA and UEFA have ruined them forever, to be honest. Uh, Next question. AMK2889, create an 11 consisting of the three Argentinian teams 
that have won the World Cup of the three managers who are in charge, who would you pick to manage your selected team? Right, let's go. So, uh, three World Cup finals, 78, 86 and 2022. I am going to pick as my goalkeeper, uh, Ubaldo Filó of 78. I think he was the best of the three. Um, Neri Pompido was good. Emi Martinez is good, but I think Filol is the best of the three. We'll go with, I think, a back five. Um, from 78, we'll take Tarantini, the left back. Daniel Passarella, the centre-back, arguably Argentina's greatest ever defender. No, not arguably, definitely Argentina's greatest ever defender. One of the best ever in the history of the game. He was also the captain of that 78 team. Um, Oscar Ruggieri, he'll play in the middle as a sweeper. Love to gallop forward. And we'll go with Christian Romero and Nahuel Molina from the current team. So Molina and Tarantini as wingbacks, Romero, Ruggieri and Passarella as a back three. Philol in goal. Midfield. Um, hmm. Sergio Batista is really good. Burachaga was really good, a player I really liked. 78 midfield, Ozzy Ardiles, special player. Americo Gallego is a good player. Mario Kempes was one of the midfielders. We're just going to go, I'm going to go with Enzo because why not? Enzo, Kempes, and we'll go with Maradona as the third. We'll go with a really attacking midfield, because why not? No one's scoring on that back three anyway. And both both wingbacks are more natural fullbacks, more defensively inclined. So we'll be good. Enzo, Kempes, Maradona, Messi, and I feel like I have to go with Valdano as my Ford. Didn't have a long international career, he played 23 times, but was great in that World Cup and scored in the final. I'll go with him. We'll go with George Valdano. As the Ford. Could play Kempes up. You know what? We'll put Kempes up front. Sorry, George, you're out. We'll put Kempes up front. It was more his more natural role. He played in midfield in that final. Uh scored two goals, but we'll we'll move him forward and we'll go with a more um uh, defensive midfielder to give balance with Enzo and Maradona. So do we go Batista, do we go Burachaga scored the winner in a World Cup final? How do I leave him out? 
I don't think I can. I think I have to pick Burchaga. Yeah, we're just going to go with him. He's, he was more attacking, but less less attacking than Kempes. Uh, so Burchaga gets the last ball. So, Philo, Molina, Romero, Ruggeri, Passarella, Tarantini, Enzo, Burchaga, those two as a double pivot, Maradona as the 10, Messi and Mario Kempes as the front two. And that will do that. Um, getting back to Isaac Gilding. What would be the what would the best 11s from each hemisphere be? It's the winter solstice today, as this is the shortest day in the northern hemisphere. I was wondering if players from nations in the north could beat the best players in the south. Only rule is... Each 11 must have at least one player from each continent in that hemisphere. The Southern 11 could be nine Brazilians as long as you're a player from the Southern half of Africa and one from Australasia. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, That's... So basically lost all the strong countries in okay okay i i we'll, we'll we'll have a go at this this is going to be difficult Once again try and locate something i haven't scribbled on i'm like a child scribbling on stuff quite annoying cuz I end up wasting quite a lot of these. They're just like, you know, those lined cards, they come in multiple colors. And I go through like two packets a month. And most of it is absolute nonsense that I've written down. Um, Or I'll write something down, think, I want to talk about that. I'll write that down there so I can remember to talk about it. And I'll stick it back in with the pile of them and I'll forget about it. Right. So. Um, well let's start with the obvious one so Messi is going to be in Alison will be in I'm taking Molina uh, Marquinhos Romero, um, might leave left back and stick an Aussie at left back. Uh, midfields, Valverde. Casemiro, they can be my double pivot. Messi is the 10. 
So Left back is going to have to be Aziz Behic of Australia. Um, do I just go Pats and Daka up front? Zambia is in the Southern Hemisphere, I believe. Yeah, I think we're just going to go with him. Unless there's somebody else from Zambia's national team that I'm missing. I think Pats and Dak is my best option. They could have gone Enoch Mwepu if he hadn't had to retire. Um, Fashion Sakala on a wing. He might work better. Fashion Sakala on a wing. Allows me to go Vinny Jr. Yeah. And it's my team, so I'm putting Darwin up front. So I've got Allison, <clears throat> Molina, Romero, Marquinhos, Behic, Valverde, Casemiro, Fashion Sakala, Messi, and Vinny Jr. behind Darwin Nunes. So that is my Southern Hemisphere team. I think that's right. I think I've stuck to the rules there. So Northern Hemisphere, I need a North American. That's easy. We'll just put Alfonso Davies in at left back. And I need an Asian player and then Europeans and North Africans. So I've got to have a North African in there as well. So we'll go... Alfonso Davies left back. Uh, Youngman's son can play left wing. Mo Salah will be right wing. Strikers. We might go two up front. Might go two up front. But we'll yeah, we'll go two up front. We'll just go Mbappe. And I think Harry Kane for the fun of it. Uh, two Spurs players, a bit of an outrage. Uh, midfield, who are the best European midfielders right now? De Bruyne, obviously. But you know what? We're just going to go Mbappe up front in the zone. With Salah and Kane either side, we'll go KDB, Rodri. And Thiago. Van Dyke is an obvious one. Um, Manuel Nauer, I think, is fairly obvious. Although I, pre- I do prefer All Black, so I'll go All Black. Right back is Trent. Centre back.
my team, I'm putting in the player I want, which is Ibu. So I've got Oblak, Trent, Kanate, Van Dijk, Alfonso Davies, De Bruyne, Rodri, Thiago, Salah, Mbappe, Son. There we go. Well, I think that's quite good. Um, I just realized I didn't pick a manager for my World Cup winning or uh, my World Cup winning Argentina team. Um so there's three options obviously. We have Lionel Scaloni, who just won the World Cup. We have Carlos Bilardo, who won it in 86 and we have Minotti who won it in 78 um Bellardo was great three copas with a studientes player didn't win didn't win a whole lot as a coach. It's funny. Bellardo tactically was excellent. But I don't know that he ever loved coaching. I think he liked the idea of management more than the actual principle of it. Even though he managed for a long, long time. He would frequently just take time off and go and do other things. Um, I'm going to go Bellardo because he got the two World Cup finals. I'm going to go with him over Scaloni and, and Minotti. Yeah, that works for me. El Flaco, El Narigon. They'll have to get a good... I don't know if, if, if Scolari has a good... Scaloni has a good nickname. Does he have a good nickname? Let's see. No, he does not appear to have. He needs a good nickname because, you know, Slim and Big Nose... Um, are already taken, so he needs a good nickname. Anyway, moving on. I've swapped uh, Armin. I've swapped the managers of the first place team with the manager of the last place team and so forth for every team in the league. Assuming you start a fresh season with these managers, how would the league table end? So, Arsenal get Lopetegui. I think that's an upgrade. Um, I do think that's an upgrade. Uh, Nathan Jones is obviously a downgrade for City. I think Steve Cooper is about a push with Eddie Howe. He's better defensive coach, even though Eddie Howe has got tuned defending very, very well this season. Um, Spurs get Frank Lampard, so Spurs are screwed. United get Moyes. Well, we've seen that movie before. Liverpool get Jesse Marsh. This is the joy of Liverpool being so poor is that they get a decent manager, uh, not just someone propping up the table. Brighton get Gary O'Neill. He kind of fits the ethos of the club. Chelsea get Rodgers. If ever there was a manager 
well suited to a club. Um, Fulham get Unai Emery. Fulham have tried to hire Unai Emery in the past. Brentford get Vieira. Could definitely see that. Could definitely see Thomas Frank at Villa as well. Marco Silva. Sorry, Thomas Frank at Palace, I should say. Marco Silva at Villa. Graham Potter at Leicester. That's one that was long rumoured. De Zerbi at Bournemouth. Klopp at Leeds. They'd love him. He'd probably like it there because the fans are quite nuts and uh, he'd be treated like a god as he is at Anfield. West Ham get Ten Hag, Everton get Conte, Forest get Howe, Southampton get Pep, and Wolves get Arteta. Right, let's have a gander. Who do we think? So the best combination. Arsenal Lopetegui is the best combination. But Liverpool win the league because Jesse Marsh is a better manager, in my view, than Nathan Jones. Mar this pen needs to go on a bin. Liverpool win the league. If I could find a pen that works, it would be a near miracle. Every time I have one, someone comes and steals it. Right. Uh second place, I think I think Arsenal end up second. To be honest, I'll go City third. See, Lampard's not getting top four with Spurs. Um, Moyes could potentially get fourth. It's probably Chelsea with Rodgers. There is a ludicrous amount of talent at the club. Um, we'll go. We'll go. United fifth. Tune sixth. Leeds seventh. West Ham eight. Spurs ninth. Leicester tenth. Leicester might even finish above Spurs. Um, I'll go Southampton next. I think Pep would have fun with that squad. There's a lot of talent there. Um, Villa. Then Palace. Actually, to be fair, Everton probably finished above a couple of these, but we'll put them in. Next, then Wolves, then Brentford, so I've got 
2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16. Brentford in 16th. And the teams I have left are Brighton. Bournemouth. Forest. Oh, Fulham, Fulham, Fulham. Uh, I think Fulham would stay up. So I'll go Fulham 17th. I'll go Forest 18th. No, I'll go Bournemouth 18th. Forest 19th. And I think Brighton would finish bottom. Because I just don't think... I I just don't know what Gary O'Neill is, the truth of it. I don't know. I said before, you, you can give great players a bad manager and they'll still make things happen, but you can't give a bad manager, or sorry, a great manager, bad players and expect anything to happen. So, yeah, that's what I've got. I've got Liverpool, Arsenal, City, Chelsea, United, Newcastle, Leeds, West Ham, Spurs, Leicester. I think Leicester probably finished above Spurs. Southampton, Villa, Palace, Everton, Wolves, Brentford, Fulham, Bournemouth, Forest, and Brighton. I don't love that, but yeah, that's where I've ended up. Um, last question is from Alex, sent in on Twitter. So, oh no, it wasn't from, it was from Alex. It was from Theo, Theo Saki. Uh, do you agree with this? The prevailing opinion is that Mbappe will be the world's best footballer in the next decade, but I believe that Haaland will have a better club career. His potential is higher than Mbappe's. Pace, physique, presence, always wants to improve. Do you agree with a Coop Sport? I don't know who Coop Sport is. Uh, Ori Cooper. The argument is Mbappe is more complete. Haaland is just a scorer. I don't accept it. Haaland is amazing at what he does. And as of now, it's hard to stop. But all he does is score goals. There's no question. Mbappe and Haaland is not a debate. In the same way that Messi and and Cristiano has never really been a debate. One is a much better footballer than the other. But because the other scores as many goals, people seem to think that equates to being as good at football. Kylian Mbappe is levels above Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland is a physical freak of nature. And he's an outrageously good finisher. But other than that, he offers absolutely nothing to his team. He's also had a track record of injuries. And with a big physique like his, I wouldn't be at all surprised if come 26-27, he's barely able to play half a season. And when his pace eventually goes, what does he really have left? Mbappe has more pace, but also far more technique. He's a far better passer. He's a better dribbler. He works harder off the ball. He's better in link play. He's better in build-up play. He offers more to his team in every aspect and scores as many goals. There's just no doubt Kylian Mbappe is a significantly better footballer 
than Erling Haaland. Haaland is brilliant at what he does. Brilliant at what he does. But Mbappe can do everything Haaland can do and a whole lot more. So there's no doubt for me, Kylian Mbappe is significantly more talented and significantly more rounded than Erling Haaland. And I'm I'm genuinely staggered that anybody could try and make a, a comparison between the two. I don't know who Ari Cooper is. Um, he's a La Liga and Serie A broadcaster based in in Israel. I just no, I'm sorry. That's it's nonsense. It is absolute nonsense to say that Haaland has higher potential than Mbappe. Because he relies on two things, pace and physique. When the pace goes and the body fails, he's in trouble. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've just got some small bits of news and we've got the gossip and that's it. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, um, some bad news to begin with. Uh, Pele's cancer has advanced, according to the hospital in Sao Paulo, where he is currently being treated. He has been in hospital for three weeks, and he will spend Christmas in hospital. Uh, He had a tumour removed from his colon in September 2021, and has since had regular treatment. Uh, It doesn't look great. It, It doesn't look great. Um, hopefully he can he can get through this, but it doesn't look promising at the moment. Beth Mead, the Arsenal and England women's forward, has been named BBC Sports Personality of the Year for 2022, beating out Ronnie O'Sullivan, Jessica Gadarova, oh the gymnast, and Jake Whiteman, the 1500 meters world champion. Um. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Great to see women's football continuing to get the recognition it deserves. Uh, Helen Rollison Award went to Rob Burrow. The Coach of the Year went to Serena Weigman. Team of the Year went to England Women. Young Sports uh, Personality of the Year went to Jessica Gadarova. Lifetime Achievement went to Usain Bolt or Usain Bolt. Um, Unsung Hero Mike Alden really know who Mike Golden is. I don't know who Mike Golden is. Um Okay, he set up Park Knoll Football Club. Um, 10 years ago. He's been involved in community football for the last 25 years. Oh, fair play. Fair play. So he's been rewarded for his, his work with grassroots football. So fair play. That's really, really good. And world sports star goes to Lionel Messi. Premier League video assistant referees made six incorrect interventions this season. And have missed six incidents when they should have stepped in. 
A five-person independent panel was introduced this season to conduct a weekly review of key match incidents, KMI, for all top-flight games. BBC Sport understands the panel has gone through hundreds of incidents and identified 48 situations when VAR needed to get involved, with 42 correct decisions made. So even with VAR, we're still getting things wrong. However, it also found that six incidents were completely missed. And on another six occasions, VAR overturned on-field decisions that had been initially correct by the referees. It is not known what the individual decisions were, but the Premier League's newly appointed Chief Refereeing Officer, Howard Webb, is determined to improve standards. Webb worked in MLS, where VAR has been in use since 2017, so therefore it's no surprise he's an advocate of the season of the system. However, he does realise its implementation in English football has not gone smoothly. It is understood that a new VAR coach, Phil Bentham, whose background is in rugby league, who've been using VAR for 20 years now, has now been appointed and Webb intends to visit all top flight clubs and summon the Football League in the new year to discuss officiating within the game as a whole. Well, that will help. Uh, Premier League wants to be part of temporary concussion subs trial. The use of concussion subs also continues to be a controversial subject in the Premier League. The PFA renewed its call for temporary substitutes to be allowed at the end of October when Emmy Martinez stayed on the field after taking a blow to the head but was then replaced minutes later. Premier League doctors feel the use of temporary subs would bring positive benefits and together with France's Ligue 1 and North America's MLS, the league has written to the game's ruling body, rulemaking body, IFAB, through the World League's forum to say they're willing to be part of a trial next season. The World League's for- forum and FIFPRO have also written a letter seen by BB Sport asking IFAB to allow the introduction of trials of temporary concussion substitutes. I have been calling for this for years. Years. Premier League does not expect a response until March and realises the request may be rejected as there has been no change in IFAB's belief supported by at least one major European league. The temporary substitutions could cause problems by Russian concussion assessments. IFAB remains of the view that any player suspected of concussion should be replaced completely. Look, I can agree with that. What I would say is you make the the concussion substitute a minimum of 15 minutes. So if there's less than 15 minutes left in the game, forgetting stoppage time, if there's less than 15 minutes left in the game, the substitution is permanent, not temporary. It's a full substitution, but it is a, it is a concussion substitution. There needs to be independent doctors, not club doctors, not anybody connected to the players or the clubs who assess the players. And like I say, if you do it for 15 minutes, you can get a you can get a good a good judgment in that time. If there's any doubt, any doubt, you don't need to do a full concussion uh panel on them. You just if there's any doubt that they're not fully lucid and clear headed, you just don't let them back on the pitch. Simple as that. Uh, Matthias Cunha could play for Wolves on January 4th because the Premier League has decided to treat January 1st and 2nd, which fall on Saturday and Sunday. No, they don't. They just don't. Because the 2nd is a Monday. 
So that's wrong for starters. But they've just decided to treat the first, which falls on a Sunday, as a working day for player registration purposes. That means club signing players can get them registered as soon as the January transfer window opens in time for match round 19, which starts with Liverpool's trip to Brentford on the 2nd of January. For Wolves, it is significant as it potentially allows Matthias Cunha to feature in their game against Aston Villa, providing his loan move is completed on time. It has been discovered that the average length of Premier League games has increased by 38 seconds this season as referees have become more proactive in dealing with time-wasting. However, while that initiative will continue, league officials are not expected to see matches get extended to the same levels as some games did in Qatar, where matches were lasting more than 100 minutes. That's fine. Like, Grant, the, the, the 100 minutes was too much, but there's not enough for time-wasting in the Premier League. Uh, into the gossip, and out we go. Argentina forward Lionel Messi has agreed to a one-year contract extension with Paris Saint-Germain that will see him... stay with the French champions until the summer of 2024. PSG will not allow Kylian Mbappe to leave in January and will only sell him in the summer at the right price. That's by Ben Jacobs, who is a spoofer, who is just guessing. He tried to claim he had senior sources at PSG. The guy's a spoofer. Uh, Atletico Madrid boss Diego Simeone has fueled talk that Joe Felix is up for sale by saying no one is indispensable. Uh, Them's be fighting words. Arsenal wanted Argentina defender Lissandro Martinez in the summer. Everybody knows that. That's not news. Uh, Chelsea have reached an agreement worth $17.5 million for Andre Santos. Tottenham are leading the race to sign Adrian Rabio. Manchester United are interested in Emiliano Martinez. Um, I, I doubt it. At his age, I, and he's, he's not an elite-level goalkeeper, so I doubt it. Al Nazir's offer of 160 million to Cristiano is being backed by the Saudi government again that is the spoof for Ben Jacobs so I don't know that we'd necessarily put any real trust in the fact that that is the truth I mean the guy seems to pretend he knows everybody and he just doesn't he just doesn't. nobody had ever heard of him until he started pretending he knew exactly what was going on during the Chelsea takeover. German club Eintracht Frankfurt have claimed they were offered the chance to sign Cristiano by Manchester United before he left Old Trafford. He was offered to every Champions League club. Every Champions League club said no. Barcelona manager Xavi has convinced Sergio Busquets to remain at the club until the summer rather than push through a move to an MLS side in January. Former Leeds United forward Rafinha has been tipped to make a return to the Premier League because he has failed to make an impact in his first season with Barcelona. Okay. Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta says the January transfer window is an option as he looks at ways of covering the loss of Gabriel Jesus and veteran Mexican goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa will land in Italy today to be unveiled as a new Salonatana player. Well, he's going to be hopeless until 2026. So, you know, whatever. Uh, We'll leave it there, folks. That will do me for today. Thank you. As always, I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.